0: You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne.
1: Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Oh, wow! Don't play now. it's the end of the world?
2: Do you want that more dramatic or like sort of understated or what this is a land that prays for a hero the humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival you are listening to greening the apocalypse
0: on triple r102.7 fm It's uh, Greening the Apocalypse time here on 3 Triple R, your weekly foray into the new systems emerging up through the cracks in the old. Bushy's my name and I am in the studio this evening with the wonderful Katie Dundas. Welcome. How art thou?
3: Well, uh, very well, thank you, Bushy, yes. very. Not, <laughs> too, not too shabby at all.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And uh, the also unshabby Jed McCartney, hello.
2: Hello, how are you? I'm how good you? enough. But how you be? Yeah, I'm well.
0: Oh, well. Splendidly I'm, I'm
2: just going to give a quick shout out to uh, my mate Claire, who's at our house tonight having ridden across Australia. Whoa. And
3: is, on she's
0: Sunday. done that twice. Oh, no, she nearly did it last year. Yeah, she got to
2: Melbourne last time. So, mm. yeah. From? From Perth. That is huge.
3: Oh, so, so where has she, she just come from now?
2: Sydney. So she drove down from Sydney today because it was easier than trying to get her bike on an aeroplane. But mm. she um, finished at the Opera House Sunday night after 5,470 kilometres.
3: Goodness me. Far out. In, so she's
0: hoping to get her driver's licence back soon. Oh, she got her yeah. <laughs> licence back Sunday. Yeah, good. No more riding from Perth <laughs> to Sydney. That's, that's pretty awesome. I mean, if you take a moment to reflect on that, that is uh, quite an achievement. So tonight's show... Okay. <laughs>
3: tonight's show's going to be a bit of a yabber. Tonight's really,
0: show's a bit of a yabber where... Um,
3: well, we're just going to have a bit of a chat
0: and I- I exchange thoughts with one another. Uh, Katie, do you want to give this a bit of context? Because okay. I was a bit of a prick.
3: Yeah, it's, so uh, we, in our wonderful planning, didn't have a guest or theme for tonight's show. Um, well, We had a few ideas, but nobody was here because it's Easter. Mm. So Bushy and I and the others were tossing around some ideas and then all of a sudden, well, think. Bishy, you must have been away somewhere. He sent away. me this really long text message. Rant. Rant. And quite frankly, I read it and I was like, what a wanker. Straight up. Yeah. Total wanker. So.
0: Give us the crux of my rant. So it was it's
3: basically a- saying, I think it must have been in the country, and the rant was saying, Oh my God! Country people are the best. City people have too many egos. They don't know how to hammer. They don't know how to use drills. They're just rubbish. Why are country people so noble and humble and smart and want to connect with each other? And whereas city people just have massive egos. And I read this and I was like, "That's
2: the what? polite version. It's a very
0: polite version." <laughs> yeah. Oh look, I'm going to put. I'm going to put my hand. I'm going to say something. <laughs> Um, that I've thought for a little while. Uh-oh. No, no, it's a, it's fine. It's me owning my shit. Mm. It's me owning my shit. Um, I know there's other um, broadcasters and there's definitely a shitload of subscribers um, who are not in town. But there are often times when I come in and I feel like – I do. I feel like an outsider. I feel like a bit of an intruder because – no, well, <laughs> it's not that – I mean, I don't, I don't live like yeah, 10 hours out in the You've Malloy just come
3: and- from Macedon, which is practically Ooh. north North Northcote.
0: No, it's a bit better than Northgate. Um, no, but because okay, I wake up and there's a cluster of birds and everything like that. And like three three minutes from home, no matter what mode of transport I'm on, I'm surrounded by paddocks and fields and forests. And a guy yesterday when I was at training, this guy's showing me this um, some footage. Like this is a guy who's going to take me out um, deer shooting soon. I like to put some venison in the freezer. He's showing me like less than five kilometers from my house, like some some deer going nuts up in the bush and stuff like that. And I've become massively, massively attached to living out where I do mm-hmm. because it's very much like where I grew up as a kid, like out in the Dandenongs. There's lots of wide open spaces and all that sort of stuff.
3: You love it so much you brought me some propaganda I brought material. You some
0: proba- yeah, read the propaganda. So I've
3: got a flyer that says it's got a picture of the Macedon Ranges with some kind of um, agriculture in the foreground Says, wouldn't you rather be here? Wouldn't you rather be there? Macedon though? Ranges, naturally cool, naturally,
0: <laughs> naturally, really cold sometimes. <laughs> and it says they're forty-five minutes from Melbourne. That's a lie. Like it's at least out, it's several hours from Melbourne. Don't oh, you, if you left now, you'd never get there. Um, no, but so that's my thing. So I've got to I've got to take ownership of the fact that I often. You know, and it's it's a funny thing. Like I, I don't consider myself like a, a grumpy old curmudgeonly Luddite who never wants to leave his cave or anything like that. But I've having I, I lived for 10 years in the city and I really loved it and I really mm. embraced it and I got a lot out of it. But I don't miss it at all.
3: Yeah, and people so, always
0: say to me, do you have to miss this? And I don't, I don't miss a thing.
3: This discussion made me feel quite irritated. Yes. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fine. Yes. That you have the right to choose to do that
1: mm.
3: and you can afford to do it. And you have a Just barely. work situation <laughs> that allows you and your family to have employment in, the, in there, in yeah. Macedon or wherever. And the, we'll see, that's probably peri urban rather than rural now. But. Oh! oh! That's a slam. <laughs> oh! <Woo-hoo! laughs> Bishy's phone's going off. We will. Enjoy some beer next week. Um, Indeed. Oh, I won't. I'll enjoy some in August. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I felt I feel still uncomfortable about this lack of equity when it comes to living either in the city or in the suburbs or See, in the I, I countryside. I was quite
2: amused by it because I grew up as a townie in yes. in country Queensland, and. Around where I grew up, and and I guess my father's family grew up out in Longreach, so anyone who lived around Macedon would be a townie, straight up a townie, yeah, but a so, country townie, yeah. <laughs> so it's um, it was quite interesting uh, from my perspective watching the uh, the messages going back <laughs> and forth, mm. and um, and it raises some it r- raised some thoughts for me mm. about um. The whole acceptance, the tree change thing. When we spoke to um, oh, Mel yeah. from you know Farm Needs a Farmer a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about how they moved out there, and they really had no knowledge of how to farm, and and they tried to get that knowledge, and and it made me start to think about the the traditional farmers, and we talk about so much stuff here that um, is like new ways of farming and mm. it seems to be good for the environment and it still produces crops and all this sort of stuff. Why, is not, why isn't everyone adopting
3: it? Well, farming's mm. one thing, but people choose to live in those locations for a number of different reasons and farming is one it. Mm. probably not many of your friends no. she, out there farm. There. And I imagine a lot of them are commuting into Melbourne or elsewhere mm. for work. Mm. Um, so I think there's a real distinction to be made by those who choose to live out there and use the land productively or use the land to uh, for ecological restoration or whatever. Mm. And other people who want to live there because it's a nice lifestyle and you get to listen to birds and you can look at trees out your window. But I just, we <laughs> on- should
0: talk choice. We should let's go down the well, choice. Tunnel. Can
3: we go through, I, I was just querying in my mind, like, is it selfish to make that decision to live in the country? Cause you're basically displacing nature for the benefit of yourself to look at some trees. And I understand that it's nice to look at trees, but
0: <laughs> it's a very if, good point.
3: If we all thought like that, there mm. would be no room left for nature. So I just wanted to follow this train of thought for a second. Melbourne, our population at the moment is four point seven million. That's Metro Melbourne, so that's going includes the growth area, so Downland, Frankston, Dandenong, um, Werribee, up to Sunbury kind of areas. So it's a really big area.
0: Staggering big.
3: I think it's, yeah, it's about just under 10,000 square kilometres. So that land area currently is home to 4.7 million. Now, our population, we're growing really, really quickly, experiencing massive population boom. And our population is expected to reach 8 million by 2050. And just an interesting little fact, it took us 174 years to grow to 4 million, and it'll just take 33 years from now to get to mm. eight. So huge, huge, huge change. So say if we think about the Macedon context or a kind of far away suburban context mm. where everyone's living on a quarter acre block. Half acre. Oh, a half acre block. Is that where you are at oh This, Straight this up. Is, makes my math better actually. <laughs> so <laughs> if we all lived on a quarter acre plot, all eight million of us, by 2050, we would take up two million acres. Okay. But if you're on a half acre plot, that's four million acres. So if you put that in your mind, like an acre is a soccer pitch.
1: Mm.
3: Four million acres is 16,000 square kilometres. So one and a half times the size of Metro Melbourne, if mm. you simply subdivided that area into quarter acre blocks. Mm. No room for roads, nothing, no mm. open space.
1: Mm.
3: You can't get, you know, but, it's just, just a grid
2: of but, people. But that's assuming that we're just going to tack it on what's Melbourne now.
3: No, this wouldn't is re-subdividing everything. It, but,
2: but wouldn't it be nice if people actually moved back to the country, and I'm not talking about the city fringes, which is mm. probably what Macedon is, but actually some of those country towns and cities that are losing population. Well, I
3: think that's another. That's a different scenario. I just want us to think about simply land area. Yes. Right? But, so, I, but
2: I don't think you can isolate it like
3: just, that. Just go with this for a moment. <laughs> so... You wouldn't feel like you're in the country. You'd be in sprawling suburbs. Yes, we could you could have a polycentric model and put people around uh, Dandenong like we're doing in Ballarat and Bendigo and repopulate places, that's fine. But you don't have public transport access, good enough. Mm-hmm. There's no jobs. Anyway. So the population density of Macedon is one point two five people a hectare. So population density of South Bank in the city there's 300 people a hectare. Mm. So you've just got to think about the choices that you have in those different types of situations mm. and the efficiency loss that you have with people so spread out.
0: So this is an interesting one because I think choice is a big thing to discuss. You were about to say something, Jude?
2: I was just going to say that is that good use of our land though when we've got other places, when you go further into the, the bush where there's probably one person per 100,000 mm. hectares. Yeah, totally. So, you know, we've got this massive country that we all sort of huddle around the coast because we're all surfy dudes. No, we huddle around the coast
3: because there's jobs there.
2: Yeah. yeah but, well, why, why are we not decentralising those jobs? You can't tell me there's not a pile of jobs that can't be done at.
0: There is. Ballarat but or that's also an interesting one as well. Pay. I mean, we could diverge in a million different directions on this. Um, but uh, I mean, heading up through the Mallee the other week and heading up into the Riverina area of South Australia for a camping trip, there's a hell of a lot of towns right throughout that area that, that, and they died. Like the, and, and the trigger thing was quite slow, but you know, they, had, they always had a train running through, so a train going through a town with silos and cargo and stuff like that, that creates X amount of jobs, a silo manager, a station master and so forth, and then along came trucks and you could just back trucks up to these silos and empty them or, or take them even – you could bypass that town altogether. And so these little towns died. So the, I, some of the places we passed through which probably maybe had 10 buildings in the whole town in quotation marks, I don't think you can actually rejuvenate those. And, but then again with the choice thing where we – so yeah, I hear what you're saying, Katie. Like the, the density of where I live is minuscule compared to South Bank. And so I have, I definitely, and part of what I was saying before, taking ownership of my shit, is that my, my somewhat sort of pompous, I don't know, I've, I've been working really hard the last couple of years. I've been a very reasonable person. So from time to time when I explode with judgmental fervour, <laughs> it's just like, it's not necessarily well guided or thought out. It's just like all oh, the shit that I've held in. You've got
3: was, a wonderful oh, passion for things.
0: Sweet. <laughs> um, so there's, there's a bunch of things when you talk about choice with where you mm-hmm. live. So on the one hand, you might choose, as we did, to move out to the rural fringe or the countryside. We made that choice. We were in a position where we could do it financially and I could take my work anywhere and so could my wife and and all sorts of things like that. But then there's another aspect with the country where – and this is probably further out and further afield – where there's some people who maybe they're second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth generation living in a place and their choices are eroded because they simply can't leave Mm. because any money they would get, any capital they would gain by selling up in a place way, way out – would get them nowhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, plus there's also that thing where choice isn't just a financial thing as well. Sometimes choice is, oh, you know, you, you would literally decimate the family structure to up and leave, mm-hmm. you know, to leave behind, be it a farm or a, or a business based in a town that, or, on things like that. So the choice I, I completely own where my shit is.
3: Yeah, and there's also choice attached to resilience. Mm. So in the suburbs or in the peri-urban areas of the countryside you can make different choices that you can if you live in the city Mm. so for example you can choose to have solar panels on your roof you can choose to produce your own energy you can probably choose to grow your own food because you've got space and you've got the agency over that decision Mm. whereas if you're in an apartment block that's strata titled and has a body corporate making that decision is completely different you don't have access to the land that you need Mm getting stuff on the roof really complicated. So you've got these layers of complexity in the city and competing land use, mm, land or, uses. Or just
0: space use, regardless of... And competing of is, space uses. Yeah. So
3: you, don't have, like, you don't have agency over how you really want to live your life. Mm. So that system has to be designed into the city to give people... Because it's an efficient way to live, and we can talk about the carbon impacts mm. later on. But you also need to have a system, a city system designed to allow you that agency of choice over how you choose to, you know, how you choose to buy your energy, how you choose to grow your food, how you Mm. choose to socialise, but you were talking about...
0: Yeah, because one of the chats we had prior to the show was... um, Because, yeah, I mean, we had uh, Coolia come on last year, I think think it was, and she talked about solar access for people in the city. So if you don't have direct access to your rooftop, that's a thing, yeah. Um, And then having space to grow some sort of tucker... um, you might have a balcony, but it might face the wrong way. Mm. But then that balcony as well might be your only place to go and sit out and socialise with friends. So, But you and I chatted a bit about the limitation, potential limitations on what you get to do socially. I mean, you've been to my house. We've got a pretty sizable backyard. We can field 40 or 50 people in there if they feel like coming over and I think we might have done that before. Um, you can't do that in an apartment. And whether or not you chose the apartment because that was the lifestyle you wanted or whatever, but... If your only option for socialising is to up and go out, then you need the disposable income to do that. Unless
3: you go to public space,
0: Oh, you go to public space, yeah, which is
3: why public space in the city is so important, mm. and it'll become so much more increasingly important as we expand and grow denser and denser. Indeed. You are listening to a Triple R podcast. Podcast, etc. <laughs> <You, you.
2: laughs>
0: <laughs> We're talking a bit about the city-country divide, uh, if there is a divide. I don't think there is. I think a lot of the time it gets manufactured to sell newspapers and, and uh, advertising space. Although, that said, I did go off on quite a fucking tirade. <laughs> the week, you did. I? I did.
3: And there's certainly a spatial divide, a choice divide, mm. a travel distance divide, she, an she, access to stuff divide. She's mm-hmm. still stroppy about it. I don't I'm stopping about everything at the moment, though. I have uh, pregnancy rage, so apologies. You should have known. About I really up, hope I have some friends left after June. <laughs> Sorry, friends.
0: You know what? We'll always be friends. Love- I Actually, I, I can't remember. We didn't know each other that well when you had pregnancy rage first time. Or did you not have it?
3: Not as bad as this time. Not as bad as this My way. God.
0: Well, if we, if we pass the test on this one, Katie, we'll be friends forever. <laughs> well, go down that, that so discussion. about that, yeah. Yeah. So... Start talking about community because I've actually got to just dip into this thing here and get an article up
2: that okay. I saw the so other day. I, I made the observation that a lot of people um, move to, let's call it the country, the what did you call it, peri-urban, um, because they're looking for community. So they live in the city, then they they have some sense of community but not enough and they think if they move to the country then automatically this community will be there and there'll be all this Lovely activity in the bush and, um, you know, activity everyone. Activity
3: in the bush. And
2: everyone will be. Sounds
3: fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> everyone at the school will be friendly and, you know, it'll all just happen. Yeah. Um, Not true.
3: And mm. I, I can't comment on it because I've, re- I've only lived in the city my whole life. Um, but Bushy, you made that move from. Th- we Northgate. Yeah, Northgate to North Northgate <laughs> <Northcote> to Macedon. Now, <laughs> no, Macedon's
0: more like a sort of a Northwest Yarraville. I'm basing that on just the sheer number of um, ex-Yarravillians, <laughs> ex that are that live in Macedon. So, so, so how do you
1: reckon?
2: You? Sorry, I was going to say, do you reckon Macedon's better because there are quite a few people who've moved from Northcote to to Macedon or Kymeton or um, Woodend, that sort of area? Is it better oh, because people are there and they, they've been through it so yeah. they're more likely to accept you than... I was saying if, you know, I went back to where I grew up in country Queensland, I'd be an outsider because I haven't lived there for 40 years and I don't know everyone in town.
0: Yeah, it's – well, the thing that I've found with moving out to Macedon is it, it's it – you know people say, oh, you can have the best of both worlds and you can very rarely have the best of both worlds. But there's a sort of a sweet spot around where I live, Macedon, Woodend, Kyneton area – where um, it's a relatively straightforward train or even car commute to town um, you know, at current fuel prices <coughs> and so forth. Relev- get those those hands are so on the hip that it's
2: just terrifying. <laughs> um, I, it's all right. I'll move her across to the other mic so she's a bit further away. In that's right.
0: So yeah. So there is there is literally the thing of like when I mean it's not the country. It is it's it's out of out of out of out of urban edge and the thing is that you can wake up to the birds chirping and that sort of stuff and you can walk down the street and like. There's a cow and a sheep, and it's, it's quite rural in a major way, um, but it is also very close to the CBD, the world's most livable city. So, like, I mean, even the fact that we landed there, like when we did, it was like a bullshit, ridiculous score because we couldn't do it now.
3: So, tell me about how you were accepted into that community, and did you find it a, a sense of community more apparent?
0: Very quickly, yeah. But, uh, but that's also so. To put a caveat on that, I've never found an overwhelming problem fitting in with places. Um, and so as soon as I was out and about and meeting people and being introduced to more people, it was just really easy for me. Sammy was a bit more challenged by it, and I think especially because, um, well, for me, I'd there's a few things. I'd grown up in a similar kind of area out in the Dandenongs um, in terms of the feel and the spread of people and that sort of stuff. I'd also um, done a lot of my work up in the area when we lived in town, so I used to commute up there a bit. And um, and because of that, I, can, I used to, I, you know, I work often by myself and so I'm I'm quite used to my own company and so forth. So if I've got company, it's great, and if I don't have company, well, it's okay because I'll catch that up fits. with someone soon. But Sammy, she, it, she'd worked quite hard, I think, well, not worked hard, but – we'd sort of found ourselves socially in a really good spot by the time we went through our mid to late 20s and early 30s in town, our crew that we'd established over those years. And it was something really, really close to her heart. Um, so leaving that behind for something completely new was a challenge. And and so, um, yeah, I noticed that for sure. Yeah. But she's also a very likeable, a lovable person and people adore her. So it's it's not like, you know, she was trying to make friends and has some sort of toxic personality or...
3: Well, I think what we're talking about here is as a geographic community that you're landed in, Mm. whereas in the city you have access to different types of communities and interest groups purely because there's a lot of people there. Mm. But I did some rural development work up in far away Victoria and what became apparent there in another another couple of areas that we worked was that if you weren't white, if you were different in any way, if you were gay, if you didn't fit the stereotype... (laughs) if you were just, yeah, exactly. If you didn't fit the circuit, if your skin was a different color, if you had anything different about you, you were not accepted and actually sometimes quite badly not accepted. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just my experience of seeing a few places, but there's a definite, in those instances, definite lack of acceptance, lack of diversity and lack of um, support network for those people. So yes, there's a geographical close-knit community. But if you don't fit into that type of person, then you're very quickly outcast. And if you're outcast out there, mm-hmm. there's no connection.
0: Proper outcast. Proper outcast. Yeah, yeah.
3: Mm.
0: That, well, so so which part of Victoria was that, by the way?
3: Uh, it was very far away.
0: Like the Mallee kind of region?
3: Opposite or? side. Opposite
0: yeah. side. Oh, yeah. so far east Victoria. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I can't speak to that at all because I don't know, but... Um, and again, what I'm about to reference is more of a regional city, but I was up at Shepparton the other week to visit the old man. Hey, Dad. And um, me and uh, Shrubby went for a, a trot in the, in the evening. I was having a run and he was having a ride. And we went down through the park there near my dad's house. And not to put a, you know, pretty much the entire planet was represented down in that park. Yeah. You know, and there was like the old leather-skinned white farmer-looking types And there was a heap of um, different migrant groups from all over the world. Everyone having a marvellous time, chilling out. It was like Easter weekend, you know, so there's all sorts of stuff going on. And I know that Shepparton especially is a place that has probably grabbed onto that a bit better. Look, you're always going to have outliers in any region, any spot. You're going to have like the narky racist jerk off. Like that's just going to be there somewhere. So I I can't speak to the area you're speaking to, but um, the feeling I get from a place like which kind of does represent to some degree regional it's Victoria
3: It's a little bit different but. It's, a,
0: it's a bit different but it's all but it's going through some similar shifts and like you know it's had like a big with employment and those sorts of things so when that happens to a spot that's when you get a hell of a lot of that mm. outcasting of the new person or the newcomer um, it's it you know it's really hard for a place that's under employment stress to embrace new people um, so yeah I mean I that's probably as best as I can speak to. But uh, and an interesting point as well, my cousin um, a few years ago moved up and got a farm in Swan Hill. He actually works in town, but he's also got a farm, you know, working farm. And um, he had this – I don't know, we were talking one day and I, I was sort of – I can't remember how we, – we were talking about different – yeah, different micro groups and coming to this area and that area. And I said – I must have asked, you know, along the lines of how a, how a newcomer's welcomed. And his perspective – was no one gives a shit where you're from, what your story is, who you are in this area, if you just work and put in. And his that sounds like a very oversimplified perspective, but basically he, what he was saying was that people up it's hard work to live in a place mm-hmm. like the Mallee that that Murray area. So people don't want anyone putting their hand out. I mean, if you put your hand out, and say, hey, I'm I'm fucked and I need a chop out. I've just you know had a flood or whatever. People are very quick to do that. They jump in and do it, but they certainly don't. Uh, have a great deal of respect for people who are putting a hand out for you know whether it might be, and this is a sad indictment I think to the the people who need welfare get shit canned in this in this way, but um, his perspective was that you know the newcomers to that area when they 're witnessed you know as wanting to jump in and do stuff, no one cares like no one 's going to ostracize them or treat them as the outcast
3: mm. something just going back to that social connectedness thing and the you know People are connected socially because the networks exist and stuff exists for people to have connections to. Mm. So one of the other things that we found was when there's not a lot of people there, that it's difficult to keep those community efforts going because there's no succession and people Mm. get burnt out. Mm. So that's just something about population density as well.
0: Well, Meg Ullman, remember Meg was, Meg Ullman was on? uh, Oh, yeah. And she was saying that there was, yeah, there was a few... So Meg Allman, for uh, those who have just tuned in, she's a, a former guest of the show, um, a very engaged community member and uh, permaculturalist and um, East Coast bike rider and all sorts of stuff like that. Mm. But she said that when her and uh, her fellow Patrick took off on the big bike ride, a bunch of things that she'd had set up and was organising and coordinating all fell away. Mm. That succession planning, I think, I mean, I don't know that the country is necessarily isolated in that regard. If you've got any kind of community volunteer organisation happening that doesn't have a good succession plan in place, it does Mm. fall by the
2: wayside.
1: Yeah.
2: I think we forget how good Melbourne is at... um being diverse and and catering for everyone, and mm. I mean, there's other cities in Australia where you know people would struggle to be accepted. Who, mm. can, who can find someone? And part of that is the 4.7 million mm. people. You know,
0: no, it, absolutely, yeah. Well, you've
2: you think got to about, find someone else who's like-minded. in yeah, that exactly. Number of people.
0: Yeah, you do. You think about those sorts of numbers, and you go, well, yeah, I mean, there's going to be
2: four thousand, seven hundred
0: <laughs> bloody model car enthusiasts, or there's going to be whatever it is.
2: I'm Joel Salatin, known as the Lunatic Farmer, encouraging you to tune in every time you can to the muck raking, compost loving, cud chewing, soil building, water cleaning vanguard of urban hillbilly radio. Greening the apocalypse on Radio 102.7, Free Triple R. Katie, mm.
0: let's talk about the environmental impact <laughs> of. Um... Zella jerk-off country <laughs> dwellers like myself. Oh, this year
3: a joy and delight. Yes. Um, so, yeah, last week's show was about Eroiai, mm. Energy Return on Energy Invested.
1: Very well said. So
3: we're trying to think about everything in that context. Oh, well, I am now. And mm. find it very enlightening. So <laughs> um, I find some articles talking about the carbon impact, the energy impact of living in the city versus living in the country. And I think generally the problem with these things is there's about a million different ways you can do this accounting Mm. and you can think about your impact or the consumption patterns of your impact, which is very much greater than Mm. just you. So take this with a pinch of salt because I'm sure you could just swing the figures however you wished. Yes. But um, so this starts... The headline of this article, which you can find in newscientist.com, is City Dwellers Harm Climate Less. Oh yes, not only is the city erotic, it is also a more <laughs> friendlier place to live. <laughs> so city lights may burn bright, but overall the greenhouse gas emissions of large cities are far below those of rural areas, a new report found. So, so what's
0: about what, how are they um, coming to that conclusion?
3: Well, it's a couple of different things. Um, Lots of it is to do with critical mass. Um, So just the efficiency of a more dense population. Mm. So simple things like heating an apartment is more efficient than heating a big house. Yes. Because it's smaller, because even if it's not smaller, it's insulated by other houses. Other apartments. um, Other apartments and other buildings. Often
0: made with a fairly good thermal mass of concrete.
3: Yes. Yep. Um, There's other density related advantages so things like travel so you don't have to I'm sure you use your car a lot Mm. and I'm sure that's
0: more than I'd like to but less than others of a similar position
3: yeah and do you have more than one car? sorry to put you on the spot
0: oh yeah well we do yes yeah
3: so and there's plenty of people in the city in fact amazing stats that are coming out of the city of Melbourne at the moment that there's hardly any new residents own cars really? yeah yeah there's a, there's a real decline in car ownership and the planning scheme needs to catch up with that because we're still providing too many car parking spaces but the stats are showing you know hardly any car ownership and a high percentage of walking cycling and public transport so that that critical mass and density advantage is feeding into this. um,
0: Without getting distracted too much, do you think that reflects, um, because we talked earlier about choice, do you think that people are going, well, I live in the CBD, I don't need a car? Or do you think there is an economic pressure or financial pressure um, if you're living in a city, like high rent, maybe high costs of living, and a car just becomes the first thing that you can knock out to save costs?
3: I think it's choice. Choice. And I think we probably have the research to prove it because there's actually – not an economic benefit all the time to not owning a car because often apartments will come with car spaces regardless of whether you want them or not. Yeah. And that car space adds an additional $50,000 of value yeah. or of cost onto your the purchase price of your apartment. Mm. So I think it's choice. And, you know, when I think about generations, and even my sister, who I think slipped into a different generational demographic than mm. I did. Hardly any of her friends own cars. Yeah, right, cool. Really, hardly any of them. But I mean, she's in a certain demographic. Mm. Um, does
1: she
2: live here?
3: Yes, she does. She does indeed. But yeah, all friends in Scotland as well. Mm. But at least the ones who grew up in the city. <laughs> mm. The city. <laughs> so, but then there's like things in here saying, oh, Beijing and Shanghai, and more than double China's national average. So, you know, this isn't a simple story. No. Um, the other reason is outsourced emissions, so this isn 't a great reason for why cities mm. emit less carbon because this is what I was trying to reference when I was talking about carbon accounting
1: yes
3: there 's many different ways in which you can account for your impact so for example, the emissions for a pair of shoes made in China and sold in the u k the impact associated the energy impact associated with that, and the way that this report calculates things. So those emissions of the shoes made in China and sold to the UK and worn by somebody in the UK are currently allocated to China. Yeah. So we've got to ask ourselves, you know, we we really need a global framework of emissions where everyone's counting the same thing. Yeah. Because you're, well, everyone casts the net in a in different way. The terms of reference
0: are all skewed, aren't they?
3: Oh, yeah. And
2: we talked about this on the... Um, Thermodynamic show the Energy Return on Energy Invested. Really? I. Yes, because there's no simple, uh, well, it might not be a simple formula anyway, but there is no accepted formula whereby you, you measure all this stuff. So mm. depending on which group gets sponsored by whom, mm. um, you'll get a different result. Instead of there being some sort of a a global authority that says this is the formula for measuring carbon mm. um, usage or carbon emissions or whatever, there isn't one.
3: Yeah, offsetting is mm. very dangerous, I think.
2: Yeah. Uh, to, so, keep because you were
0: talking there about specifically carbon footprint per head of capita for people in the city versus people in rural areas, mm-hmm. and that's in the UK and the US, or is it...
3: It's all over the world, all actually. All over the world. Yeah.
0: Because does that... So, one of the things I'd be curious to know with uh, the accounting method on that, so... Um, so everybody say so everybody by you know, rough estimate uh, needs about between two thousand to two thousand four hundred calories per day for basic function uh, depending on you know depending on whether you 're um, short and, and a, a slim build or tall and a big build or whatever you 've got a calorie need each day, and so that doesn 't come for free that calorie uh, transfer comes from the soil through farming agriculture. So then how does this type of calculation allow for the fact that, you know, people say living in New York might predominantly walk everywhere, not have to heat their apartment, um, have more access to op shops so they don't need brand new clothes or whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's still, was there 8 million, 10 million in New York, let's say, and very few of them can grow their own food, let yeah. alone high-calorie crops. Um, and so that carbon emission for them, like you say, that, that gets cast out to the rural sector, not just of the US, but of the whole world. Mm-hmm. So,
3: Exactly. That's a problem.
0: That's a, yeah, that's a thing.
3: And you can, you can and, but, cast com- that net in so many different ways that it's really, really hard to compare.
0: You can. And comparatively, if you're in, well, even in the suburbs, it's like even just a, a, a smallish backyard um, all the way out to the country. If you've got even a, a, a little bit of space where you can account for, even if it's minuscule, like say five or 10% of your Daily calories might come from your own efforts or the efforts of your neighbours or whatever. That would offset then those carbon calculations. So I, yeah. don't, I think it's it's interesting maths. Like whatever they're doing there to come up with that figure, I think yeah, because like there's like so many things you could look at that and go, well, that is either a completely definitive answer or it's completely skewed in favour of a whole bunch of other numbers. So anyway, yeah,
3: completely. And you know, it talks here about the fact that. We're talking about developed nations, average carbon footprint, Western cities, mm. heaps of room for improvement, um, but their emissions still dwarf those from cities and developing nations, and that's even though the carbon accounting is cast off to those developing nations, mm. even though that's happening,
1: yeah, right.
3: those Western cities are still mind-blowingly emitting much greater carbon footprints. Yeah. Uh, yes, and if we counted the use of the products, not where it was made, hmm. then it would be a hell of a lot worse. But the dirty dozen was calculated in this article.
1: Oh, what's the dirty and dozen?
3: Just the, this is just comparing cities with each other. And Glasgow's second worst. <gasps> second to Washington. Worse than Shanghai. What's Glasgow doing?
2: <laughs> I don't know. What is Glasgow doing?
3: I don't know. They're
2: burning plastic in the street or...? Frying too many Mars bars.
3: Yeah, Barcelona's oh, 3.4 oh tonnes. Glasgow's 8.4 tonnes. Glasgow's fairly small. Is this that, must per, be per capita.
2: Per head though. of capita.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable.
0: It is. It's chaos. Um, and I, well, this article also says, yeah, yeah, it's definitely the lifestyle of people living in cities. Um, because it says here yeah, they can be better in terms of carbon emissions than people in the country, but also the lifestyles of people in the West are vastly different to... The lifestyles of people and I mean I could only go in places I've traveled to like india and and um, Borneo and and places like that but uh, yeah there's certainly not uh, the same level of what you say consumption habits yeah yeah so and and so but I'd be really interested to actually do a show on this on sort of um or at least a part of a show on sort of the calorie needs and the carbon impact of, of people and how efficient our use of um, food calories as it relates to the carbon footprint to make those food calories go because we in, – in the West, I mean, it's not just that we've got all these superfluous bloody items. Like we've – I think in America, the self-storage, like you know how you have those yeah, self-storage yeah, – yeah. that industry is worth like $20 billion yeah. in so the US. I, I, was, I
2: was just smiling so, because I, I was going back to your food thing mm-hmm. and I was thinking about um, the way – foods presented, mm. especially around, um the good old wick, the a wick mm. in cafes and, you know, what was a basic meal, you know, now has to have the the flour on it and mm. the, um, you know, a bit of furry or wherever. Uh. So, you know, how much does all that presentation mm. add in terms of carbon? Mm. So instead yeah, of your... Edible scramb-
3: flowers and well, microgreens. Well, well,
2: instead of your scrambled eggs on toast being scrambled eggs on toast, they're now... Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, with stuff. Like, with, that's with. It's an, with. A, an yeah. art
0: installation. So, But that's what I was saying. We've got so much superfluous stuff in the West that we actually rent spaces to store the shit we can't fit <laughs> yeah. in the house. Yeah. So there's a huge carbon footprint. I feel for, like we've been
3: swearing carbon. loads on this show.
0: Oh, well, I'm furious, damn it. <laughs> um, and plus I live in the country. We swear a lot. Um,
3: <laughs> so I think, can we just make sure that we recognise the fact that no matter where we live, <laughs> people we are, are people. Yeah. And... It kind
0: of doesn't matter. Like I said at the top of the show, I think I was just in one of those moods. <laughs> I've been such a reasonable person for so long, I've become. I've worked hard to be embrace a reasonable.
3: Embrace the
0: rage. I need to embrace the rage more often. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.